Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm going to start off introducing myself. I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth and Posts on Tumblr. I have joining me tonight Chicky. Hi, this is Chicky. I'm Chickren on Tumblr. Whitey. Hi, this is Whitey. You can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. Eon. Hi, this is Eon, and I'm Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. And our lovely guest tonight is Guile. Hi, this is Guile. I'm Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr. Awesome. So thanks so much for joining us, Kyle. Thank you. Um, So tonight we're discussing uh, a great chapter, (laughs) Uh, Brienne 7 from A Feast for Crows. Um, Before we go into it, though, I'm going to do the spoiler warning. Um, We do spoil everything on this podcast. Um, Also, there's an exceptional amount of graphic violence in this podcast, and uh, rape discussion will be happening as well. So just some trigger warnings there. Is there, is there a trigger warning for cannibalism? Uh, I feel like we should throw that in. Oh, yeah. Like you might have cannibalistic tendencies. I <laughs> might not want to listen to Never know. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so uh, let's start off with um, Brienne, Pod, Hyle, and Maribald um, are walking down a road. Um, and they come across a corpse hanging from a tree. It's been eaten by birds and wolves, and a chunk of salt is shoved into its mouth. They keep walking. 50 yards later, they come across a second corpse. This one has a lion's helm. Hyle offers it to Pod. Um, it's not that tempting, though, because it's full of the guy's head a bit still and a bunch of worms. So he takes a pass on the helm. Uh, they continue on, and there are lots of hanging men along the way, all in cloaks of different colors. And then, I don't know, I, there was this really lovely, poignant line that Brianne recalls from a book back home. Um, that on the gallows tree, all men are brothers. I just really like that line. <laughs> yeah, and it's so true when we're talking about the people that they see hanging who are clearly, you know, not not any one group. It's just kind of a collection of of what Septon Maribald was talking about with the broken men. And, and yeah, it, you can tell that it's just, in the end, it doesn't matter. They're just dead. <laughs> just dead on these yeah, trees. Yeah. It's a really great little observation Brienne makes. I think she makes reference to the fact that the dead men's cloaks have a tint of colour, but they'd all faded so much that it was difficult to tell them apart. Um, and yeah, like Chicky was saying, it really speaks to how the biggest casualties of war like these are the small folk who, you know, they're all the same once they die and they're, they're dying for a cause that doesn't care about them for the lords or the princes who don't even know who they are and they, they just end up being forgotten. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, and, oh, go ahead, Ian. Oh, I was I was thinking that the salt rocks. It's their response to the to the red wedding because the Lannisters yeah. the phrase violated guest right. Um, yeah. With the salt and the and the bread, so they're just stuffing these rocks of salt in these people's mouths before they hang them. Because well, we're going to get to it, but okay, but I'll leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Pod asks um, what inn that they're heading to, and Maribald jumps on the chance to pull their attention away from the grisly scene they're walking that's uh, surrounding them. 
And then we can kind of get this whole history of the inn they're going oh, to, yeah. which was yeah. originally known as the Two Crowns and built during the reign of Jaharis. And I didn't really go into, like, I didn't really want to write down all this history. Does anyone know it in a <laughs> nutshell? <laughs> or care? Because we couldn't. Well, <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Eon. Well, I really like the story about the the three-headed black iron dragon that was built by um, Long John Heddle. Because in a way, this dragon, <laughs> during um, the Blackfire Rebellion, it was thrown into the river. And then several years later, it washes up ashore on the Quiet All. And one, just one of the heads from this three-headed dragon shows up, and it's rusted red. And in a way, if you think about it, it's like an allegory to young Griff, a.k.a. Aegon. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's a it's a big theory and it, it's most likely true that Aegon is not a, a true Targaryen he's most likely a blackfire mm. so this Aegon he he travels across the sea the narrow sea and shows up on you know to Westeros and he's being touted as a true Targaryen so i thought that was a little that was kind of neat yeah it is cool I'm- it is yeah it's interesting the dragons that pop up in this especially since you know Brienne has been on this journey that has taken her through now she's pretty much in the Riverlands, but she, you know, she started in the Crownlands and like, that's very much, you know, dragon territory. There's been a little bit of a, a dragon and Targaryen motif throughout her chapters. Mm-hmm. I like to that. Um, well, Maribald's the one who's, you know, telling the, sharing this history because, well, he's always made these rounds, right? And the previous owner, I'm kind of glad that GS, or sorry, Guile is joining us because she's the one who mentioned Masha in the one episode that we had with her. Masha, Masha, Masha. Masha, Masha, Masha. <laughs> <laughs> so Masha Heddle did own this inn at one point, um, but then we learned that she was killed by Lannister soldiers um, and then her nephew took it over and he tried to bring some whores in, you know, to drum up some business. <laughs> but then he As one does. Killed. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> Damn, this thing is just not working. Everyone in this inn has been murdered. This inn does not have a good history. No. Even, even whores can help. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, makes this funny comment that uh, he's never dreamed that keeping an inn could be so dangerous. Um, Maribald replies, it's, uh, it is being common-born that is dangerous when the great lords play their Game of Thrones. This I love that done. quote. Right? It's top yeah. of yeah, it's full right. of great quotes. Mar- Maribald, man. That'll do. He's amazing. Yeah, he's got crush. some good ones. I have ones. such a crush. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad he's left behind his days of, uh, you know, whoring and whatnot. Oh, wait, did I just refer to myself as a whore? What's going on? Probably <laughs> <laughs> heard it. Only if you get paid, Whitey. Only if you get paid. Straight. <laughs> it's true. It doesn't count if you give it away for free. <laughs> That's your motto. No. <laughs> it's. No, I, do, I love pretty much everything that he says. I've got to say, I kind of see um, the, the Crossroads Inn as a metaphor for for the lands that surround it, kind of like the unrest that goes on in the Riverlands. And, you know, the inn itself has is, is changed ownership so many times, mostly because the previous owner has been murdered. It's not a safe place. It's sitting there on the crossroads of everywhere where things are sort of in a constant state of flux and danger is forever lurking. Um, yeah, so I just I enjoy reading about history. I think it's interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty busy piece of real estate that I would not recommend buying. 
<laughs> so yeah, as you mentioned, the crossroad uh, is no it is now known as the Crossroads Inn, and um, it's survived the war, unlike the salt pans. And then we can kind of get this bit of a flashback um, when they went to the salt pans, and they talk about how that all that remained was like ashes, um, except for the castle, and they couldn't. They were trying to get hospitality, and they were, like, knocking at the gate for a quarter of an hour until anybody would even answer them. And a woman calls down, and she refuses them and tells them, you know, the Crossroads Inn is the closest. So they were denied entry. It's um, amazing how legendary this this sack, basically, of the salt pans is. I mean, mm. the horrors that went on here are terrible. And it's, it's funny how Brienne thinks as she's looking at a lot of these corpses on the trees that a lot of them were involved. She knows that they were some of the perpetrators of this terrible, terrible atrocity, but she still feels, you know, compassion for them and everything. Yeah, that's, that was really interesting to me as well. You really do see so much of Brienne's empathy shining through in her chapters and perhaps even a little bit of naivety as well because I think what she says is um, they're evil men, yet the sight of them made her sad. And it really strikes you just how kind Brienne is, despite the fact that, you know, she lives in this world that's continually trying to crush her soul. <laughs> she still has this exceptional capacity for empathy. It really is quite a beautiful thing. Yeah, George has done a really good job with writing um, the like inner dialogue of Brienne that way. Like he just knows the, the what words to give her to make you just love her so much. Yeah, which yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. So oh, um, God. as they approach the inn, they hear the sounds of a forge. The inn is overrun with children of all ages, orphans of the war. Um, there's this girl, Willow. Um, <clears throat> she's asking if they want beds and if they have the coin to pay for them. And then Hyle laughs that um, she asks a silver coin for a night's bed in a haunch of horse. Uh, the girls tell them that they can pay the silver or go sleep with the dead. Um, she asks where they got their food when she notices they're carrying food. Hyle is... Again, you know, you ask all your guests many questions. She tells them that they don't have many guests, mostly sparrows. And then there's a boy's voice that um, sounds out. And he also says, also thieves and robbers. And, oh, my God, it's Gendry. You mean, you mean <laughs> like, a Renly? Renly. <laughs> you mean a ghost. You mean a ghost. Yeah, it's a ghost, baby. <laughs> it's a sexy ghost. <laughs> 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 I, I should have wrote sexy ghost <laughs> that's okay totally, Ian's got that <laughs> yeah that's totally what Brian's thinking is she's like really looking at this guy's face. I, I love how it's written I love I love kind of the surprise of it and that she she it's what is it she turns and she sees a ghost and then it's like no hammer blow to the heart could have felled her uh, a half so hard I think it was yeah it, oh my gosh that's amazing the writing uh, and that's all she's doing. Is. Is she's just like studying him with his eyes, like every little. Yeah. Girl. And it goes to show just you kind of imagine that that's how she looked at Renly as well when she was around him, just how much she she would have watched him and just sort of sat and looked at him in adoration. And it's really it's really very heartbreaking when she realizes, no, it's not Renly. She says, um, "Renly is dead. Renly died in my arms." Um, oh God. <laughs> It's, it, I don't know, you kind of, because she has a similar thing in the next chapter as well. It's kind of like the ghost of Renly is haunting her at this point. It's really like very, um like the way she's just looking at him, it really reeks of being kind of like school girly, doesn't it? Yes, she goes uh, into like almost a whole paragraph about Renly's hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in a feast 
in in a clash for, of kings, right before Renly slain, she's like preparing him for battle, and she's tying his hair back. And you know, she was totally into that. I mean, she's probably fangirling on the inside she was about probably I mean, smelling smelling yes. his shampoo. <laughs> I was gonna say that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, I love how much attention she pays to the little differences between Renly and Gendry, because obviously she thinks yeah. they look a lot alike, and yet she's sitting here, like, picking out the tiny little differences between them. It just shows you, number one, yes, how much attention she paid to Renly, but, you know, just how much she cared about Renly. I mean, this is, you know, yeah. this is this is definitely infatuation that she's exhibiting here toward Renly. Yeah. But, you know, even if it was, and it was, an idealistic love, it obviously felt real to Brienne, which is why... You know, seeing the ghost of Renly now is, is really, I don't know, it's quite poignant, I guess, to her. Yeah, it would be just shocking. Anyway, one of the things she notices, his eyes are not as warm and welcoming. They look at her with suspicion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, He's an angry young man. Yeah, yeah. he seems to got a Ooh, Gendry? No way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, show Gendry. I don't even know about him. Still rowing, I guess. So uh, Maribald tries to explain how Masha always gave him um, food in a bed. And then Gendry, you know, replies, well, they they hung her. So, (laughs) yes. Speaking of that, like there's a part whenever they're walking up and the kids are all playing in the in the courtyard or whatever. There's this little boy that's swinging from this chain on the gibbet. Is that where she was hung? Ooh, Brienne. No. Oh, Masha. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Wow. There's no telling. Yeah. So Heil gets in a joke about how he'd like to get some land and grow some hemp to make rope because he'd be rich. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Ha- Heil's always got an angle. Man. <laughs> that was funny. He's an entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Bald asks if they have a room for them. And uh, Gendry and Willow argue amongst themselves and she wants them to say because she wants the food for the kids and uh this part she whistles and like gaggles more children start popping out everywhere some with crossbows that is some of the best imagery <laughs> in this chapter you just imagining all these kids like climbing down from the rafters it feels like never everywhere. never land only like a yes little... <laughs> oh it does yeah only like a really sad version of never never land <laughs> the so... orphan well hang on they're all orphans anyway aren't they Anyway, uh, Heil says uh, they should call it the crossbow inn because all these kids have crossbows. Uh, Orphan inn would be more apt, thinks Brienne. So Willow um, barks out some orders and they are shown to their rooms. I love Uh, how like badass Willow is as well. She just she knows she knows what's going on. She's in charge. She's definitely a Type A personality. That Willow sure is. So uh, Pod asks if um, he'll be sharing a room with Brienne uh, or Hyle, and Brienne tells him that they're no longer on the quiet aisle and that they will be ditching Hyle in the morning. <laughs> and uh, Pod asks where they will go. Um, Brienne had no answer for him. They had come uh, to a crossroads, quite literally. This part kind of really reminded me a lot of the TV show. Like It felt like this is kind of where they were drawing from for that episode yeah. when mm. they were literally at a crossroads. <laughs> deciding, yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. Deciding to go well, to the Vale or to the North. There's just a s- severe lack of gravy and pie in this chapter. Yes, no hot pie. <laughs> Not hot pie. Great chapter, needs more hot pie. <laughs> <laughs> Always. 
<laughs> so, I love this though because you know this has been her struggle the whole time is 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 where does she go next and and what clue does she follow and you get the feeling after what she's heard from the elder brother about Sander and Arya she's just confused and she has no idea what to do. Yeah, she's I mean, absolutely confused. She thinks about, you know, she thinks about her options. She's like, well, we could go to the Vale, but Lys is dead. We could go to River Run, where the Blackfish is. It's besieged, but he's still alive. And then she thinks about going to Winterfell. And she's like, well, you know, what? what? she doesn't really have any great options, does she? So then, you know, I think Lot probably wants to explain what happens next. Yeah, no, but I... I do love, though, that she she is aware of what her options are. I mean, I think, you know, you hear a lot of criticism about Brienne in these chapters where yeah. people will say she is not very smart. And I'm not going to say oh. that she is the most genius person in the world. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, yeah, who, who could do better with you know, what she has at her disposal and the no, information you know that what? she has? I th- I, you do see her intelligence come through, though. I mean, I'm not going to, again... As you say, Chicky, she's not the, she's not a genius, but she's certainly not stupid. Um, she's more naive than anything, I think. And I think if given more chance, uh, given more time on the battlefield, she hasn't really, she doesn't have the experience, um, to, I don't know, she does, she does the best she can with what she knows, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like almost, it's an impossible mission that she's on. I don't know how yeah. anyone could do better. Yeah. I think Sansa's like finding a needle in a haystack right now. Well, pretty well, and, much. Yeah. yeah. And to be fair, she did find Arya, essentially. I mean, she missed Arya by, you know, hours, maybe. Yep. Mm. Not even that much. She saw the, she saw the she boat. Saw, she saw the ship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so Bran, Bran's um, contemplating her options and, um, she has a def- one defeatist thought. And she's thinking about Jamie and thinking about maybe she should just go back to King's Landing, confess her failure, return his sword, and return home as the elder brother suggested. And then she has a thought. Um, she oh. wonders if Jamie would comfort her should she weep on his shoulder. Isn't that oh. what men wanted? A oh. soft, helpless <laughs> woman to pity. You, you know what's so great? And heartbreaking about these thoughts from Brienne is that, I don't know, when you're reading it, it kind of highlights the two places that she feels safe. She thinks about going home to Tarth. I think she thinks about it, you know, she's, she's long to go home. Um, and then she thinks about Jamie as well in a similar vein that, you know, it's sort of like she's equating Jamie with being home. Um, she's yearning for home. And then she thinks about being comforted by Jamie, which I guess she's also yearning for. So I kind of like that. Yeah, um, he's he's in the same category um, yeah, as of, as her father of safe of places. Yeah, people right, she can depend exactly. on. And you know, we know that Jamie is frequently in Brienne's thoughts, but I like how her mind turns to him now at the crossroads in this time of great confusion and uncertainty for her. Like she doesn't know where to go, she doesn't know how to proceed, so she thinks to return to, as you say, the safety of Jamie. And it's it's sort of in a very romantic sense that she thinks about him. She doesn't just want to return to him, but she wants to return to the comfort of his arms. Mm. And you know what's really interesting to me is even though Brienne has this huge amount of self-doubt, she doesn't think she'll ever be good enough for anyone, she seems to really be entertaining the idea that Jamie would actually take her in his arms in this romantic, comforting sort of way. You know, she's yeah, deep down. I've always yeah, found a, that interesting as well. Yeah, because, because think back to when she thinks on Renly and how she wanted to sing for him, but she never really entertained the idea. She, she had wanted, she had wanted, she says, but... You know, she immediately dismissed the idea. But with Jamie, 
she doesn't immediately dismiss the idea. It's sort of left open in a, you know, hmm, maybe if I return, this might happen. Which, yeah. and I think you've talked about this before, Chicky, um, about how, you know, deep down in Brienne's mind, she realises that her feelings might be reciprocated somewhat by Jamie. Well, I have always suspected that it's, you know, I mean, we've all experienced that thing when you're, well, I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of people know what I'm talking about. If I say you go in a room and, and you just, even if you just see someone across a room and you have a connection with them and there's just, yeah, you know, a, a feeling, just that idea, you yeah. know, we could leave here and go have sex somewhere, you know, that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Just that connection. True. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a okay, lot. She only knows 0.5 of what you're talking about. Remember when, you we were, where, remember when we were talking in the bath pass chapter, and Gal was there for that one as well. We and you asked Chicky, you know, what kind of atmosphere is happening here? You know, they're both naked in the steamy bath. Both of their defenses are down. Um, you know, Jamie's continually checking out Brienne's body. He gets the awkward boner, as naive and self-doubting as Brienne is. She surely must have picked up on some of this, on, you know, the tension that must have been in the air. Well, she also might have noticed when he jumped into the bear pit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Not just the bathhouse, but that's just one example. I mean, out of all the time that Jamie and Brienne have spent together, he's clearly attracted to her. She's clearly attracted to him. There must be some kind of vibe going on, sure. Yeah, I'm like, the pheromones have to be flying. There has to be yeah, some sort of almost palpable feeling between them. And I honestly think that has to be where this little bit of, I mean, it's a strange confidence from a woman yes. who has had the romantic experiences that she's had. Because mm-hmm. she has, no one else in her life um, has has affirmed her as, as a desirable or attractive person. And, exactly. and and yet she is able to entertain this idea that she might might be able to have some sort of romantic connection with Jamie Lannister. It has to come from somewhere. Um, and I, yeah, you, yeah. you just have to believe that there was a vibe between them, that there was a feeling that she, she I had believe. on some level. <laughs> yeah. I some believe it. Of it. Yeah. She didn't immediately follow it up with like a self doubting thought, you know, it was just like, like she did with Renly because yeah. clearly she knew on some level she could never have Renly. Um, you know, <laughs> I totally pulled a Brienne in junior high once. <laughs> <laughs> Time. <laughs> I had this this friend, I don't know, she had a freak out or something. My other friends start crying and I noticed they were getting like hugs from the guys. <laughs> so I pretended to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Not my finest hour, but it totally worked. So Brian's on to something here. Fast work. <laughs> well, another thing I love about this moment too is how um unambiguously this is about um, a, a male female attraction romantic relationship i mean there really is no other way to interpret this business about you know that's what men wanted soft helpless women they needed to protect i mean it's very obvious the terms in which she's thinking about them at this moment really uh, i just you know some that's how i think about my <laughs> my, my bros maybe, yeah maybe there's just nothing platonic about this <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's about as platonic as Jamie's bone of the bathroom. <laughs> Along those lines, yeah. So as uh, Brienne's thinking about all this, you know, Pod interrupts her thoughts with like, um, where are we going? And she says to supper. So I think she's been daydreaming for a bit. Uh, they go down. She's <laughs> writing fan fun. fiction in her head. <laughs> Pretty much. It's rated E. Anyway. <laughs> They go down to supper and the place is crawling with more children. Too many to count. Yes, right there. If you don't mind if I interrupt you. Okay, I noticed a big similarity between Jamie and Brienne right here with 
Brie, and she's trying to count all of these kids, and she's trying to count, and then she more pop up, and it, it she loses count and everything. There's a chapter, a couple chapters later with Jamie, where, or maybe it's even in A Dance with Dragons, where he's at Penny Tree, and he's looking at all these coins that have been nailed onto the tree, and he's trying to count them. And he loses count, and I didn't know if there was anything to that, but I noticed that there was that similarity right there. Good, I good always catch, like dude. any. Yeah, I was going to say I always like any similarities between Jamie and Brienne. It's like good catch. Essentially, they're both vampires. They can't go anywhere without <laughs> counting everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Willow is uh, commanding them like the type A personality that she is, and uh, Brienne wonders for a moment if she could possibly be Arya. She kind of has this air of uh, leadership about her. Maribold uh, handles the porridge while Pod brings in the cod, vegetables, nuts, and cheese. Heil is uh, warming his feet by the fire, and Brienne sits next to him. <clears throat> he points out to some blood stains on the floor, and she asks if he's scared of children. She tells him she feels sorry um, um, for them. Hunt calls her mushy, basically, and says that she, if she wants a baby, she needs a man for that. And then he kind of offers himself. <laughs> Hunt tells her, in not so charming terms, that he's known men who's settled for less if uh, they ever, it, when they've made matches. Um, he says it'll be good lands for him, babies for her. Oh God! Hunt I knows how to break out the wooing lines right there. <laughs> He did such a shit job here, did he not? Yeah, I mean... You know what? Oh, you go ahead, Ian. Oh, I'm just saying that... What a a way to raise the bar, Hunt. This is is like no way to charm the pants off of Brienne right now. In fact, I think she'd probably want to have her small clothes, like, welded shut. (laughs) You know what, though? I reckon if he was actually romantic, she would have been even worse. She She would have found that even worse. At least this way he's sort of... You know, I totally think he's playing the right game with her. Because everyone else has been bullshitting her and betting on her. And he's just telling her him. Yeah, including Including him. him, Exactly. So he can't... I mean, if he came to her like Whitey was saying, all flowery, I mean, she would just... She would not handle that well. It would be worse. I feel like there's a chance. I feel like he has a chance (laughs) for this approach. When I I was reading this, and I do get this impression while I'm reading some of Hyle's stuff, is you do see strains of Jamie in him. And I think we've referred to him as Jamie Light before. He has this sort of tactless honesty that he has a Jamie sort of take me as as I am attitude and he's also quite self-deprecating but you know he is a douchebag but he's a fairly honest one (laughs) um he doesn't have Jamie's depth so far as we've seen but yeah I do get you know some Jamie from him when I read him yeah. So he's switching tactics here is what you're saying but he's not I don't think he's as good a people reader as Jamie because I, I agree with you a little bit, Kyle. I do think that straightforward is probably his best chance with her, but this yeah. part where he goes into trying to sell himself by saying that he has fathered a child, a bastard yeah. child. <laughs> he's fertile. That's, That's all he's saying. Too far. Too oh, far. But then he's like, what does he say? He's like, but don't I, worry. Yeah, I have a kid, but don't like worry. Me. She won't be yeah. in the way. <laughs> I never see her. Her mum hates me. <laughs> It's like, so, way to charm Brienne. Good job. Oh, baby. Yeah, you really get her. And I love, too, that the fact that he shares this, the mother of his bastard child tried to throw hot, or did throw hot soup on him. 
Exactly. It's like, why would you want to procreate with someone who had had such a terrible experience the last time? Well, or he's not a cautionary tale at all. Well, or he's telling her that, you know, I don't have a relationship with this woman anymore. <laughs> it's just you, baby. It's just you, Brienne. Okay, he's right. telling her that, but what he doesn't realize is he's always also saying that it went so badly that the yeah. woman tried to burn him. <laughs> hey. Every breakup, she's a psycho, he's an asshole. It happens. <laughs> so he tells her to uh, leave her door unlocked in the night, and um, she pretty much promises him that she's going to cut his dick off if he attempts to sneak in. <laughs> so Maribald says a prayer um, before they eat. Gendry glowers in the corner when Maribald asks if he has no love for the gods, and Gendry tells him, not for your gods. Yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> There's a boy that tells him he loves the Lord of Light, um, which is quickly followed by a wrap of Willow Spoon. They eat, and um, Bran decides to take food out to Gendry. Uh, she's kind of transfixed by how much he looks like Renly, which we've discussed. <laughs> uh, and then she decides, no, he looks more like Robert. She pegs him for being from King's Landing. Can I yeah, just say, I love when, that. when... when- Oh, okay. So I was just going to say, when Pod goes to follow Brienne outside, she tells him that she's not going to be long. And I'm like, doesn't Brienne know that you never say that? It's like the number one rule of horror movies. Never say that you, you know, you'll just be back in a minute. Oh. <laughs> what are you going to say? I, I love how she had to go see Renly alone, though. I mean, not Renly, Gendry. <laughs> oh, okay, you, we you could say Renly. I do mean Renly, Renly's actually. Post. Yeah. No, I, yeah. It's, it's interesting that she wanted to do it by herself. Yeah. Well, and from a plot device, you know, obviously if Pod were to go with her, there's no realistic way for Pod to be still with us. Oh. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you know, it's just Brienne fighting, really, for the Pod could kind of be throwing rocks from I that think round. she was just suddenly <laughs> and telling him to finish his food. <laughs> so, She's a cool mom. Yeah. <laughs> she wanted to get Gendry alone, damn it. <laughs> she wanted to uncle Gendry. In his hot well, I, apron and uh, bare chest. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's Arya's job. <laughs> anyway. I, I tend to agree with Chicky. I think she probably did want to get him alone. She probably did want to sort of have another look at him by herself. But yeah, she also, well, it's clear she, she knows there's a mystery here. Having questions to be about his parentage. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> so it's uh, interesting, you know, because we never do actually hear if Brienne herself ever saw Robert. She knows about him, but yeah. it, it's never really clear. I mean, you I think she, she might have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, who knows? Anyway, Gendry's not too polite to her, and uh, he's a bit surly, actually, as she's like asking him all these questions. And it seems like she's about to tell him his real father, because like she's having this like thought that it is Robert's bastard. I don't know. She's kind mm-hmm. of piecing it together. But then um, we hear the sounds of others, <clears throat> and Gendry calls them friends, and... Brienne's spider senses are going off big time. She tells Gendry to arm himself and that these are no one's friends. One rider has maggot white face, round eyes, and weeping sores on his face. Sounds hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's another that Gendry says is the hound. Brienne corrects him and says it's someone with the hound's helm. She counts seven riders in all, and uh, Willow comes out to the, the front and um, ugh, the guy basically threatens to rape her with her crossbow. Um, and then there's this line that I really love. Um, seven 
Brienne thought again despairing. She had no chance against Seven. No chance and no choice. Mm. She stepped out into the rain, Oathkeeper in hand. Leave her be. If you want to rape someone, try me. How true to Brienne's nature is that? She, she knows that the odds, you know, are totally against her. But she's going to step up anyway because she's always going to fight to protect the innocent, no matter what the chances are. And, I, you know, I guess who's more innocent than an infill of orphan children? It kind of goes back to um, who is that knight at the salt pans that his castle? Is it Quincy? Uh, who knows? We know who you mean. Yeah, he like yeah. she thought that like he could have tried, right? Like, yes. And they're having yeah. this argument. Well, you know, he's an old man. His sons are away, and Brand's like, nope, he could have tried. And like, it's yeah. not even a thought. She she's a true knight. Like this this moment yes. is actually my favorite Brand moment in the whole series. Like, this is just so Brand. Yeah, well, and and the way that she thinks of it is is just so brilliant. I mean, I, this is kind of one of her kind of quintessential quotes right here: "No chance and no choice." And this is just, yeah, this is just the essence of Brienne's character right here. That is that you do the right thing, no matter what the cost. You just don't, you know, you do what's right, and that's Brienne, and she's about to do it. Oh, good, <laughs> great. Um, so <clears throat> the outlaws turn um, when they hear her. Some laugh, exchange words. One recognizes her, tells her he'd rather rape his horse. I um, love that it's that she's even uglier than they remembered. Ugh. Just never ends with that. Yeah. Yeah. How many times did that happen in during this chapter? I think one of the kids mentioned it earlier on. Then Gendry talks about how ugly uh, she is. It, you're right. It just never ends. And then Hyle says the great thing about how in the dark yes. she's as beautiful as any other woman. Yeah. God. What a dick. <laughs> So uh, one of the men tells her he's going to cut off her legs so that she can watch while he rapes Willow. And this is Rorge, I think, correct? Yeah. He's a gem. Um, Bran hopes to provide, um, provoke him by saying, what I heard Shagwell say, they took your manhood along with your nose. Um, (laughs) And it works because he starts to fly at her with his axe and Bran waits for him inside, steps his attack, slicing through his mail with Oathkeeper. He gives it, He gets kind of furious into a furious rage, swinging his axe about. Brienne manages to avoid all of his attacks, all but one. The others cheer him on with this um, as he gets a cut in. But Brienne is focused, thinking of her old Sir Goodwin and his instructions. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I like love. I love that she's calling back to the way that she was taught to fight, which is you know let men tire themselves out, let them try to prove something by beating you quickly and you just wait them out, hold, you know, keep your strength, keep your speed, hold on to it until they wear themselves out looking like idiots trying to beat you. And then that's your chance. What I also love about this is it's kind of like a movie fight where one fighter from a group steps up and the rest just stand around watching. Yep. <laughs> yes. It's like a John Woo film because yeah. when they bring down rain, there needs to be like white doves and stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. There's lightning too. There's lightning in the background. There yes. is. Yeah. It's dark. It's night. There's lightning. There's there's thunder. There's rain. <laughs> I can clearly remember reading this my on my first read, just going, Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. This is so awesome. Right. Uh, yeah. It's the end. Yeah, again, yeah. I love how the strategy works too, because they do stand around. That's exactly yeah, what she wants us for them to watch and they do. Yeah, and the, she yeah. provides a show and yeah, they take the bait. It's great. You, you and as of, Oh, sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I was gonna say, and you can imagine, like, the more that this fight is going on, and the more she's like getting the best of him, how embarrassed he must be. Yeah, that she's showing him up in front of all his little cronies. Yeah, yeah. 
and it is working. The man is exhausting himself. He swings and he eventually slips in the mud, and that's when she stabs him straight through. And she whispers, "Sapphire." That is so badass. I love that she didn't hesitate. You guys, she didn't hesitate. Yeah. Yeah, I love that she can't help calling back to stuff with Jamie. Like, it's just yeah. like a, who was it? Timmy's hand that she cut off, and she yeah. was like, "That's for yeah. Jamie." And now she's whispering sapphires, just like well, Jamie. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> even that taunt she threw at Rorge, I can see how she was just channeling Jamie right there to oh, piss off Rorge. She's, she's learned some stuff from Jamie. Yeah. She sure has. She's got a little Jamie inside her. <laughs> soon enough soon enough God. oh my god okay so now that we're all thrilled and happy that she you know did this awesome kill uh we need I, some levity before we uh, here comes then, lighter yes uh, grm pulled another oberon versus the mountain 2.0 yeah, this this part pretty much sucks. Anyway, so Biter knocks her to the ground, um, and she smacks her head against a rock. Oathkeeper is lost. Her hands are her only weapons, and she's pummeling him in the face, but it's having no impact. She uh, reaches down for her dagger, and Biter is still smashing her head against the ground. Uh, she manages to pull the blade free into his belly, scraping it across his belly. He hisses and then lets go of her throat just long enough to start hitting her in the face. She can hear bones cracking. Mm-hmm. He breaks her arm with his knee and then returns to trying to tear her head off her shoulders. Mm-hmm. She hears, kind of in a faraway place, dog barking and then the sounds of steel. And she has this thought that Heil has joined the fight, but she can't really focus because Biter is choking the life out of her. This is an amazing scene. I mean, the way that it's written, you kind of feel... It's funny, this whole chapter is so kind of melancholic and then you you get to this this fight, and she has this moment of triumph when she beats Rorge, and then instantly Biter is just on her the minute that she kills Rorge. And you feel her, I mean, it's not that she's giving up, but you feel her sort of giving in to losing the fight. And it's amazingly written, to me anyway. Like, you just kind of feel her losing her strength as as each of these these paragraphs go by. <laughs> just like, yes, yeah. and she you know read what? Like you... No, you go ahead, Ian. Oh, just as a reader, I mean, you feel helpless as you're reading this. You really you do. You really do. Yeah. It's just a horrifying. And you know what? She even says to herself as as the fight goes on, she tells herself she can't die yet. There's something she still needs to do. Like, you can tell she's trying so hard and she's not even thinking about the fact that she's going to die. She, what she can think about is keeping a vow to, to Catelyn, to yeah. Jamie. Is she maybe the noblest creature on earth? <laughs> True night, right to the end. She even really is that what she and needs then, to do? Is keep the vow to is oh, keep the vow to Catelyn? Well, I think she, she could mean a lot of things. What? Well, I mean, she. Uh, I don't want to even say it. Yes, you do. Say no, it. I don't. <laughs> what? Say it. No, but I mean, you know, I cannot die yet. There's something I still need to do. So I mean, there's two girls. So I mean, it isn't necessarily. I feel like if she was referring to the vow, she might just say the vow. Something. I mean, it's like she won't even admit it to herself. Oh, I would argue that she's been banged up a lot right now, yeah. and she's not very coherent right now. Yeah, pretty, pretty that's kind of how I read it too. Like she's she's losing consciousness, and she's like, I got yeah, stuff. I, I can't die. I got I got something. It's a very vague sort of knows, feeling so. thought, I guess. I mean, she's being eaten. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the part I left off at. So. Yeah. Uh, Biter opens his mouth and then there's this line that it reeks of like cheese gone bad. Ugh. Oh god. Ugh. 
and he, <laughs> he bites her cheek and uh the first one he spits to the ground and then he bites her cheek again and then he like eats her <laughs> well yeah and you know what but because this chapter isn't distressing enough, oh. we have Brienne's inner monologue during this time telling her that she's stupid for trying to be a knight, for trying to go on this quest, you know? <laughs> it's just, God, it's just kicking you in the gut. Right? Like, she's, ha- she's like, at the one point it feels like she's floating above herself, and that's the thought she has, is that it's not her, it's some other stupid girl that thinks she's a knight. <laughs> oh, God, right in the feels. Oh, yeah, so it's so interesting, too, that this is this is, like her big defeat that she's experiencing because, you know, when she was in the bear pit, she was facing off against an animal. And I don't know if anybody knows much about Biter, but Biter is in many ways an animal. He was, I should have looked this up, but he was trained to fight in dog pits. I believe Eon, do you have any memory of this? Uh, Yes. I want to, that's what I've heard. He was trained to fight in dog pits. His teeth are filed. Yeah. His teeth were filed. He hisses. Yeah. He's more monster than he is human. Definitely got that part. Absolutely, absolutely. He is. It's analogous, really, to the bear pit because, yeah, she's fighting. She's fighting an animal both times. Yeah. So, uh, and, oh, go ahead. But you know, he never really. Martin has never really said what side of her face was bitten. But I always, in my mind, I've always thought it was her left side because I've always imagined she's right-handed. And usually whenever you're being attacked, you're going to try to protect your dominant side, being her right side. She's dropped Oath Keeper. Her right forearm is crushed right now. So she's going to turn her t- turn her head to the right, exposing her left side. I always so thought it was the left, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah so I that's why I've always too. thought left side. Yeah, it's good to keep note of her injuries, too, here. Yeah, her arm is broken. We hear that. We know that she's her head is being smashed against a rock, so she's experiencing some sort of really significant head injury. Her nose um, has to be broken as well. Yeah, and she talks hair's about pain in her chest. Out. Yeah, her hair's yeah, been pulled out. Ribs. Probably broken ribs. Yeah. yeah. She's it's, basically broken and everywhere. And I think a cut on the Pleading shoulder, too. Yeah. Okay, so that's a nice grisly picture. Everyone have that in your mind. <laughs> We did trigger warn for this. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. Okay, so as she's um, you know, being losing consciousness, uh, she notices that Biter's tongue seems too long. Um, it's almost a foot, and it's almost like a sword. And then that's mm-hmm. the last thought she has as darkness takes her. <sighs> and fuck uh, me with the bloody spear. I am done. Oh wow, is dead. <laughs> Thank you, GRRM. <laughs> fuck oh, you, God. and fuck this chapter. <laughs> can we, can we maybe that? No, you go ahead, Ian. I'm just, I'm after reading that. It's just uh. what my thought was. You know, why would you do that to one of your characters? I really don't see, you know, yeah. J.K. Rowling doing this to her. <laughs> you know, I'm like, but you know, you do oh, want to, like, why, why? Why does Brienne have to be further disfigured for a star? Because I think we've talked about this in the podcast before. There is a, a recurring theme in A Song of Ice and Fire of, of beauty being marred. We've had, you know, Jamie losing his hand, um, Marcella losing an ear. We've had it in several instances. But then yes. we have characters like, yeah, Loris. Then we have characters like Brienne and Tyrion who aren't beauties, who were never beauties. And who George is continually putting through the damn ringer. I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on why this might be? I think it's about consequences. Like, you know, these people are living lives that if you're going to do this kind of thing, this could very well happen. 
I mean, that's that's very... I mean, I honestly think that he did this to her face to make sure that there's no doubt that she's ugly. I mean, I, I, I mean, like from, from, an, from an authorial <laughs> perspective, I honestly think that's why he did. I mean, it's yeah. a very shocking and, and gruesome scene and it, it definitely leaves a mark. And it's funny, even people who aren't Brian fans, this is the thing that they remember actually is this scene. Um, and you know, it's really effective. Probably, I mean, I think you have a point because, you know, we've all been around the message boards and whatnot. We've seen people who have read the book say they don't think Brienne's that unattractive. She could be attractive. Right. They always Beauty say things like, maybe her, the eye of the, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, they always say things like, oh, maybe her helmet was on a lot. So her hair is flat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I, I think I've said you. this before, like from what, as far as her maiming goes, I really think it's kind of a mirroring, mirroring of Jamie losing his hand with when jamie lost his hand he lost his masculinity whenever she lost her her side of her face her side of her face is gone and her hair is gone she's lost her her femininity yeah but don't you think she was already i, I mean she's yeah. described as distinctly unfeminine i think this well, she lost what type of femininity she had she had yeah maybe i think it does have to do with the big gap to the big gap between this book and A Storm of Swords, though, and I think it goes back to what Chicky says. Like after A Storm of Swords, if you you know if you read that book and there wasn't a feast feast for crows yet, I think you would be shipping them and you would be making those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's not really that ugly. She's not that bad, and th- that's not the story that he wants to tell. And so I almost feel like he did like- it to her to like make a damn sure that everyone got the story that he yeah. wants. To I mean, tell. I. I think that could be true. It's probably more likely than not. But I think the same. Even guy. before this happened, we are continually being told how ugly she is. Everyone tells her how ugly yeah. she is. Even in this chapter, it happens like four times at least. Yeah, I think he was trying to drive the point home too. I there exactly I think it's what overkill, Guile is saying. Basically. I think I, I think what Guile's saying is true, though. I, I I honestly suspect it was just that that he heard people saying, "Oh, well, she maybe isn't that ugly." Jamie's kind of into her clearly, and so he mm-hmm. just was like, "Nope." she's ugly let me just make sure there's no question of this let me just rip off half of her face i mean you know it serves many purposes i'm not going to say that there isn't another reason that he had this this gruesome attack happen and and this horrible wound but i suspect that's the heart of it (laughs) (laughs) he loves brienne though you know if nothing else i mean like we've we've heard from rose papillon who's talked to him in person about brienne you you get this feeling that his eyes light up when people bring up brienne so i think he loves her i don't think it was that he was it seems to be intending the to be mindlessly loves, cruel. The two characters he loves the most, he keeps disfiguring because we know he loves Tyrion as well. <laughs> right, that's how he shows his love. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> he's almost as bad as Hyle. <laughs> it's so funny too. You know, before we end, I gotta say it's so funny that they this kill is such an awesome kill. I mean, like you know, not promoting violence, but I mean, it's pretty spectacular <laughs> this image of, of the sword coming through Biter's mouth, and like first she thinks it's his pointed tongue, and then she's like, it's too long to be a tongue, and she thinks it looks like a sword. It's such amazing imagery, and I love how the show couldn't resist throwing yeah. it in, even though they clearly weren't going to do this Soul Gendry's yeah. moves. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say they gave it to John in the show and it wasn't the same, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that brings us to the end of that chapter, and to perk us up a bit, we're going to do some questions. No, we can't be perked up. I Let's want to have be. 15 minutes of silence. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll hum the reins of Castamere really quietly. <laughs> 
So why do you got them for us? I do, I do. Okay, so we have a two-parter from the lovely Alice, and she would like to know, will Jamie and Brienne kiss before Lady Stoneheart or after meeting her? Um, and we've also got a do you think they'll kiss in the show? So have at it. Is kiss a euphemism? <laughs> Lower. Lower. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's I say where. Where are they kissing? <laughs> Let's just go with a uh, kiss on the lips. On the hand because it's platonic. Hand, because Jamie loves Cersei. It's courtly love. It's you on asshole. The hand. <laughs> kiss on the forehead. <laughs> okay. Um, I think they're going to kiss after Lady Stoneheart. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, like, super stressful and scary and everything. And whenever they escape, their emotions are going to be high and everything. And they're going to kiss. Yeah, it's going to be, like, one of those comforting things. Yes. He's kind of just comforting her. And then one thing leads to another. (laughs) Who do you think will initiate the kiss? I think it's Jamie. Yeah, Yeah. Can't imagine Brienne doing it. I mean, he has, like, you know experience so I see him being more the aggressor <laughs> with with who? with Brienne's body <laughs> <laughs> alright um, there's another another short question um, this is from Goto Mischief and she would like to know who do you believe is more likely to admit their love first uh, Jamie <laughs> yeah I agree I mean, you know, I know it's fun in AU to kind of think about other things, but in canon, I mean, nothing's going to happen unless Jamie makes it happen. That's pretty much what I yeah, think. I think I think Jamie would do it because he's just not even going to think. He's just going to blurt it out. Yeah, yeah. and I, honestly, I can't see Brienne um, being in that place that she would ever say it, but she would need the the comfort of knowing that he loves her before she actually said it. Well, unless he's dying, and then maybe she would. <gasps> oh, maybe. That's a good point. Ooh. That's a good point. Gal pulled the happen. twist. Way to break yeah. our hearts at the same hey. time, Gal. I was just what? about to say, aren't we all feeling better now? <laughs> you go Kyle, <laughs> <laughs> <Smile>, get out. <laughs> this is what happens when I don't drink. <laughs> How can she not drink? Do you know what? I get, I get more than when I do drink. What happens when you do drink? Gosh. I think you've no. heard. <laughs> Did we miss a part of the first question, though? That it was a two-parter, right? About yeah. Do you think they'll kiss in the show? I do because I had a dream about it the other day. So can you tell us about that dream? That was a good dream. Everyone, be quiet. I want to hear this dream. <laughs> it doesn't. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I had this, I don't know, it's just, you know how whenever you have a dream, like, you only remember, like, the middle and, like, towards the end, and that's about it. Well, I had this dream that I was watching an episode, a new episode of Game of Thrones, and Jamie is walking into the sept, and Brienne is in the sept, but she's standing in front of a bed. It's either a bed (laughs) or a table, I don't know, it's some sort of furniture, she's standing in front of it. Okay. Not in front of Joffrey's dead body? No, there is no body in the sept. It's just an empty sept with like a piece of furniture and she's standing in front of it. And he walks behind her and starts kissing her neck. Ooh. And then she turns around and they start 
start full on making out and everything. And then my alarm clock went off. Why can't I have That's not not the best part. And the the part about it though is like whenever, it's like while I'm watching this in my dream, it's like I'm on Skype and I'm sending y'all texts, (laughs) these messages going, oh my god, are y'all seeing this right now? You know? Yeah, so. Yeah. So you think that will kiss on the show in a set? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. This might be a sign that we do too much fandom, I think. <laughs> I'm still waiting for a Jamie and Brienne dream. Everyone seems to be having them. Yeah, I, don't, I, I never had it. one. I never had one until like two nights ago. Oh, I'm glad you did because I quite enjoyed that. Me too. Yeah, no, I totally think they're going to kiss on the show. Of course, they're going to kiss oh, on the show. Can they're I gonna... piggyback on that question and ask, do you think it'll be this coming season? I think they've already kissed on the show. I think it's already been filmed. You think? It, oh, I thought you were going to say it was off screen. In which case, I would have. Yeah, <laughs> you know, going back to that Lady Stoneheart kissing question, I would say I kind of think there's a chance something no. might have happened at Penny Tree. No, no. Yeah. You think? You think we'll get a flashback to it at least? I don't know. We might pick up right there. Who knows? George does whatever he wants with his timeline, they so it doesn't be, really matter. They Sorry. might even be at the quiet all because she's pretty big. Married. Up. You know, Married. yeah. So they can um, share. Okay. Well, platonically was- share a room, is it? Or no? Only platonically. <laughs> Platonically sharing a beehive at the quiet aisle. Platonic- <laughs> platonically married at the quiet aisle. <laughs> They're in a hobbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before anyone adds on to that. <laughs> Do we have thank yous? Yes, we have have two thank yous. Um, Our first is from Apples Are Happy, Alice. She says, hey guys, even if this week's episode, number 26, wasn't very shippery, it was still a lot of fun to hear. Jamie really was totally in his element. Also, thank you very much for letting me know how to pronounce trebuchet. (laughs) (laughs) I kept thinking it was tree bucket. (laughs) Every Wednesday, I have a a spring in my step at work knowing that as soon as I get home, I can listen to a new podcast. Lots of love. Alice, apples are happy. Thanks, Alice. Thank Thank you, Alice. Sweet. Our last one is from Via14LOL, and she says, Just listen to the latest JB podcast, and I loved it. Big smiley face. I'm in bed with the cold, and it made me feel a little better. Keep up the good work, and I'm looking forward to future JB podcasts, especially the drunk ones. Please, <laughs> please tell me you guys are planning one soon. From now on, it's all going to be drunk podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I can not. tell you. Via, I can tell you that we have something in the works. I'm just not yeah, going to spoil anything. And I hope, I hope you feel better too, Via. But yes. I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking we do. <laughs> <laughs> we don't tell a lot what's going oh. on. <laughs> I mean, she, she just turns up on the on the day. Yeah, and we're like, you can moderate, but we'll decide everything else. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> okay, so that's it, right? That is it. Okay. So if you want to send us a message, you can at Gmail at close the door and at gmail.com. You can find us on Tumblr at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. You can find, uh, send us another message if you'd like, uh, JB online. So that's jamiebrianneonline.com. Um, and please like us on iTunes and review us. Damn it. And uh, I think I'm going to start going after the people in the United Kingdom now. Australians took their licks. Now it's the uh, United <laughs> Kingdom. Here's why. I looked at our statistics. We're like number, like our second biggest supporter next to the U.S. is the United Kingdomers. 
And we don't have that many reviews from them on iTunes. Oh, God. <laughs> no one else wants to help me beat them up, no? Canadian, Canadian-UK relations are about to break down. Thanks a lot. <laughs> at least we've, we've fixed Canadian-Australian relations. <laughs> if only about. Scotland had voted for independence, we'd have a new country to pick on. <laughs> oh, see? Lost opportunity, Scotland. What's up? Oh, dear. They didn't even consider that in the deliberations, this podcast. Right. should have been one of the talking points. It really anyway. should have. You guys, yeah. see, this will work. We're going to have a United Kingdom iTunes review this time next week. You'll see it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Sure. Sure. A lot. Sure. <laughs> Podcasting. Good night, everybody. Thanks, Good night. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.